Hey everyone, this is the Manips and Sips podcast uh, featuring Dr. Brandon Cruz and myself, Dr. Jeremy Boyd. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the ankle uh, joint complex uh, and the foot as well uh, in light of uh, Andrew Luck unfortunately having to retire due to his most recent uh, calf injury. We figured we'd talk about our thought process when it comes to examining uh, the ankle and, ev- and evaluating and treating it as well. For conditions such as Achilles tendonitis or tendinopathies, potentially plantar fasciitis, ankle sprains, and wherever this conversation leads to. Before I keep talking, let me pass it off to my partner in crime, Brandon. How's it going? Going well, Jer. Thanks for the introduction. And yes, uh, sad news about Andrew Luck. I mean, bright young star, smart guy, unfortunately having to retire because of the various uh, injuries he's had to uh, sustain and work his way back from. And it sounds like it just got too much from him. So, you know, we're going to we're not really going to talk about Angela per se, because uh, I don't think it would be fair because we don't really know what's going on. Um, but the foot and ankle complex can be tricky. There's a lot going on. Uh, a lot of things tend to mask itself uh, as other presentations. And, and we'll kind of get into that. So, uh, Jerry, let's start us off, man. I know you've been a, 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 out and about traveling with weddings and visiting uh, some family members and stuff like that. So you've been busy on your end there. Um, any new breweries that you were able to uh, swing by, especially oh. on the coast? Oh man, that's a uh, that's a true story. I've been this is uh, I've had eight weddings this summer. Um, thing, oh yeah, there was one more, but me and you were going to AOMP this year. So that got me out of the, the October wedding. There so is. I'm excited about that. Yeah. I've hit, I hit, I think five breweries when I was out in California for a wedding. Uh, that's actually what I'm sipping on. Oh, no, not what I'm sipping on right now. That's actually New Jersey beer. That'd be tough to bring a California beer over to Jersey, but um, I'm drinking a glass from, uh, from one of the breweries. It's called Gun Whalers. Um, it's a really cool small place. There's four breweries all right next to each other: Salty Bear, Gun Whalers, and um, Forge Brewery. Um, there, there are some good spots. Uh, they were in uh, Casamesos or Orange County area. Uh, super nice guy. He wasn't like um, supposed to give out glasses because they were running low on them, but we told him about our glass uh, collection, and he uh, he gave us one. Should have told him. About the podcast that you need it for the podcast. Uh, that's why I did too. I was like, "Oh yeah, we have a podcast. We've been and all this sort of stuff." And he's like, "Let me get you a let me get you a chipped one." <laughs> and uh, he gave me one. So really decent guy. Really great beer. Uh, that's probably my favorite of the three. Uh, the salty bear was a pretty new one. And then um, yeah, been out to a couple. Just went out to Portland this last weekend. Uh, got out to a couple more. And uh, as of brews, I'm actually drinking. I'm drinking uh, beer from my my new hire, Justin. He gave it to me on his last day. I've been saving it. He told me to save it for Manips and Sips. He knows I'm a stout guy. Um, it's from Double Nickel, which is in Pensacola, New Jersey. It's one of the bigger breweries. Okay. Um, funny story about this. I was, if anyone knows what Pre-Cana is, um, it's uh, like pretty much marriage counseling before your wedding. Uh, for in the Catholic Church, I'm not Catholic. I'm I'm Sounds Orthodox awful. Christian, Sounds but awful, it, you know what? It, I mean, there was definitely it was it was it's two days, so I got dragged. It was two days, but luckily, um, so they're talking about you know all kinds of stuff, you know, 
obviously keeping God in your marriage and all these sort of things, premarital sex, so it gets super awkward at times. Um, but uh, luckily, I don't know why we get the fun table. So it's just a couple other couples and they're all the same thing, sort of thing where we're having some laughs as we go. But actually one guy, we were all talking about our professions and whatnot, but one guy was, he kept himself and he was like his wife or his future wife was talking and came to her like, Hey Drew, what, what do you do? And he's just like, yeah, he's like, I brew beer. And one guy was like, I you know, well, I have your garage or something. And he's just like, yeah, something like that. And his fiance stepped in and she's like, no, he's the head brewmaster of double nickel. And it's one of our biggest breweries. So super cool dude. I mean, they, they pump out a lot of beer. So, um, I'm drinking his, uh, one night stand stout. Really, nice. uh, really, yeah, right, right in time for right, right. Good transition there. But, uh, no, right, right during a pre Canada, this guy has yeah, <laughs> the one night stand stout. Um, yes, yeah, pretty good. I mean, it's, it's just gonna be a, it's a crowler. So, I mean, this is perfect for multiple episodes. 8.5%, so it does pack a minor, a bit of a punch. Uh, real dark and bold. I love this. It's great stout. You know, actually, it's uh, probably now I'm tasting it second to my old love of Guinness. So, um, kudos to you guys out there. And, uh, but yeah, let's, let's talk about you, Brandon. You've got some things, been moving some things around and uh, got some marketing and whatnot. Give me a little update on you. Yeah, luckily I haven't had all the weddings you've had. I had that last year, so got that out of the way. That can be – it's fun, but it's definitely draining mm-hmm. um, traveling especially, and it gets a little costly too. Um, but, yeah, so I've been uh, really just working a lot this summer. Uh, I just um, – in the process of finishing my mentoring hours for two days a week, uh, I'm finishing up my mentoring hours for my fellowship program. Uh, just hired a marketer here at Pursuit PT. Uh, Chris, great guy, uh, very eager, energetic, want to learn and, and put the time in. So um, we're, we're lucky to have him and excited for the, the next uh, several months here to um, kind of launch uh, this bad boy out and more and, uh, you know, obviously get get our brand out more. Been doing more races, more tennis events, some golf events. We had a golf presentation, um, I guess, what, two weeks ago now. So, you know, things just uh, just on the grind right now. Good. So, but you have a uh, good, interesting stories with uh, your beer. I don't have that. I'm actually at work right now. I just finished uh, treating this Saturday morning. So I have my one standard bottle of Buchanan's. I have a ton of bottles of whiskey. I got, I just got a, a bullet rye um, from one of my students as he, uh, he finished his internship. He's graduated next week. He's going to be a great clinician, Sam. So he, uh, his gift to me was, um, was a bottle of bullet uh, rye bourbon. So I'll have to break that out and uh, either move some bottles here into the office or uh, start doing some of these podcasts at home. But yeah, so that's, that's kind of what's going on with me. But uh, let's go into the, uh, the topic today. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, I guess we can kind of keep it, start off with some general things and kind of break it off from there. Let's start off with potentially our examination process. Uh, for each of us, I know we've had similar trainings with Temple Residency, but I'm sure it's evolved into our own kind of special, unique ways. Um, and maybe some viewers can pick up from it. And maybe start off like some things that we used to examine and look at and maybe don't really care to do those so much anymore. Because I feel like that pretty much happens just about anywhere in the 
human body of the, any of the joints where I was like, yeah, I don't really care to do that because it really doesn't show me much. But, Brandon, what well, well about you? Yeah, you're the fellowship-trained uh, individual here. Uh, how you kind of look in? What's your approach at looking at someone who comes in with, you know, you know, general ankle pain or Achilles tendinopathy or some sorts? Yeah, so special tests I pretty much don't do. Um, I won't say always. Obviously, there is a time and place. But, you know, to do the standard inversion test, uh, you know, let me backtrack. I do them. I just don't do them in the beginning of my test. I mean, my my evaluation is large in the beginning, at least, is hands on. It's manual based uh, because that's going to tell me a lot. I'll be able to distract the joint, uh, add compression to the joint, move the forefoot while keeping the, the midfoot and rear foot stable, move the rear foot while um, keeping the forefoot stable, uh, look at great toe extension, look at all the toe extension, look at calcaneum mobility, look at distal tib-fib mobility. Um, you know, and within that, yeah, I can throw in, okay, just passive range of motion is inversion hurt or, you know, does that become the, the varus and valgus test? Uh, and, you know, can I do the anterior draw? Sure. But usually my, that subjective is going to give me what I need to know. Um, and I think it's important we have to kind of delineate between, between acute uh, ankle sprain or acute pain and then some of the more chronic stuff that, you know, people have had their ankle sprains. A lot of people shake it off to be like, okay, it's going to heal in a bit, you know, and they go a month later, two months later. And, yeah, they're better. They're walking, but they still have foot and ankle pain. Mm-hmm. So – uh, funny, you know, we're, we're doing this now. I, I just had an intern, uh, a new intern now from Rutgers University, and we just had a foot eval, and we were discussing kind of my thought process. And I had him take the lead on it, and he did, you know, he started with uh, some joint accessory motion based on what we had talked about prior to it, knowing it was going to be a foot. And he went in and did, you know, his accessory motion, and to him it was the same. And it's hard. It's, it's even been harder now uh, over the via a podcast but we're trying to teach you uh or trying to teach a clinician what to feel when they don't know what to feel so Mm -hmm. it's a bit it's a bit hard to explain but uh you know if we're looking at we'll go with the the towel cruel joint and a posterior glide you know we want to get like you know that posterior glide and can we get a bounce back can we get a spring action hence the name spring testing that's usually used for the spine uh, if you apply some pressure, you know, that joint should want to recoil and bounce back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's what we're looking for. Uh, and don't just do it in, you know, a neutral, a neutral plane, or I think some mm-hmm. schools will teach you to stabilize from behind the calcaneus and, and, or the tibia and then do it. But, you know, can, what happens if you evert the foot? If you invert the foot, does that change how the mechanics or the accessory motion of the joint, if you add dorsiflexion, does that change how quickly uh, or soon that joint um, stiffens up or or the uh, physiologic motion uh, changes? So, you know, looking at all these different force couples, because when somebody's walking, their foot is just not neutral. Uh, you know, they're going from a plantar flex position to a more dorsiflex position, back to a plantar flex position. Their foot's supinating, the foot's pronating mm-hmm. as it should. Some might do it more or less than others, but we have to take all those factors into account when 
when looking at the accessory motion. My goal is to make a, as quick of a change as possible via manual therapy, and we'll get into it in a little bit, uh, versus just doing a test. The test is empty. Okay, great. You're positive. Now what? Uh, the person wants to get better. They want, re- they want pain relief and function improvement. So that, that's my, my go-to, and that's my test retest. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know we talk about test retest a lot, but uh, I think that's what it, you know, when all else fails, that's what we come back down to. So, Jared, what do you, what do you like to do? Uh, well, that's, yeah, that's great. Um, and then what you're talking about with being a neutral and those sort of things uh, at the, before I get into mine, I, I completely agree. And I've had some people or students where they're doing their motions and they're like, someone's fresh out of like a cam boot or a cast. And they're like, Oh, well, yeah, it's, it seems actually pretty okay. And they're testing it in neutral. And that's essentially what they've been in for the last couple of weeks is that, you know, neutral fixed position. Flight, yeah. 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 And I'm like, all right, why don't you try uh, playing around with different motions, especially getting them to dorsiflexion or as you were saying, inversion, eversion. And you can really like all, all of a sudden it's not moving at all. And it's because they haven't moved that joint in any of those planes in, you know, four to eight weeks. So yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I always start off my, my kind of examinations, like I'd start in my lower body um, or lower extremity individuals, obviously we've kind of talked about before. I always like, you know, screen out um, your lumbar spine and kind of work myself down. And then just as long as they're fully weight bearing, um, start looking at their movement patterns, like squats, um, you know, your lateral step downs, single leg RDLs, uh, are they doing single leg stance with keeping, you know, ASIs is fairly level or we're seeing some weaknesses proximally and maybe some Trendelenburg, but again, is that really truly Trendelenburg or they just didn't know that they had to keep their hips, uh, aligned. Um, and then following that, um, a good thing I, I mean, I tell you a huge appreciation for is, um, especially with, uh, acute and chronic, um, ankle sprains, uh, a lot of times also Achilles tendinopathies and plantar fasciitis, weight-bearing dorsiflexion. A lot of my students will look at it. They'll get them on the table, do look, pull out the goni, measure uh, non-weight-bearing ankle dorsiflexion, maybe with a knee extended or knee flexed, and completely forget the more functional uh, thing to look at is that weight-bearing ankle dorsiflexion. So while I have them up, I'll look at that, make sure it's, you know, within normal limits or equal to the non-involved side. Um, and then I, most of the time I can, you can see that they're off on that. And then I'm like, okay, th- there we go. We can, while they're there, maybe I can do some those ankle mobilizations, uh, um, mobilizations with movements and show within the first couple minutes, we can make a difference. Uh, and then right from there, you know, I, I do the same thing as you, Brandon, where we start to go and really start to kind of tease out that mobility uh, of the ankle and foot joint. Um, a lot of a great toe or the toe extension uh, is missed in a lot of people, and that can throw off the whole kinematic chain. So I make sure I take an appreciation of those sort of things and, again, play with it in different planes. Uh, mm-hmm. Same with ankle dorsiflexion weight-bearing. Some people are really good at or fine you know, going in neutral right over that kind of second, third toe, but you add 
some sort of whatever you want to call it, eversion, inversion, or have their knees go out or in, and all of a sudden they can't advance their tibia over their over their ankle there or their talus. Um, those are things that you know you should be taking a look into and start to to play around with and try and get it all the way so it's even and some good visual cues is something especially for I, I like the like I'm reviewing my my students or my new hires notes or we talk about the examination or they'll do something like yeah that feels fine um, and that's it they just haven't got to enough putting their hands on ankles and feet hell my my new hire prior to his clinical with me and those sort of things he mostly saw in his affils were like back pain and like hip and joint replacements. So he never actually got his hands on like a true, you know, ankle that had pathology. So you start playing around with it. Oh yeah, it all feels the same. Like, no, you need to take the time to really figure out, oh, this is limited and try and use some visual cues. Sometimes I can say like, hey, you play around with it, try and like if you're doing ankle uh, calcaneal inversion, eversion, try to look for the space between the, the shin and the, and the calcaneus. Is there more space in between those two on the involved or not? Is that showing a type of mobile or just as mobile? Try to look for visual cues or um, actual displacement of the joint if you can't really feel our appreciation for how well the joint's moving. So if you visually can see that it's not you know, distracting as far or displacing as far or translating as far, all right, that may be a sign that that joint may not be moving quite as well as the other other one. Uh, and then try, all right, let me mobilize it right there. And if it makes an impact, then yeah, maybe it is truly hypermobile. That's kind of what we go with. And then from there, but uh, anything from you, Brandon, from picking up from what you do manually, uh, and, yeah. Uh, thank you from there. Yeah. I mean, you made some good, great points there, and I want to uh, piggyback off. And one is just talking about the spring testing that you just finished up with. I mean, every clinician uh, to get uh, an image of of what this is like, go to your plinth and press down on the foam pad up top. Uh, if you take one finger and press down on the foam pad when your cha- when your nail charges starts to change color, that's roughly a grade one. You know, go halfway down, that's probably a grade two. When you hit that panel, that's a grade three or so. And then, you know, pushing beyond that, you're four. But if you take your hand off of that, that recoil is what that joint should do. If you find that you aren't being able to, to glide or, you know, apply a mobilization force that has any type of excursion, that's probably a more hypomobile joint. And the best thing to do, especially, you know, for the newer people, newer uh, clinicians out there or students that you don't have the repetitions that we have is to compare it to the other limb um, just Mm -hmm. to get a baseline. You do that a few times, you'll begin to understand what is what. And that kind of happens, you know, subconsciously and intuitively. uh, And you have to make it a conscious process to understand what you're feeling. uh, As you said before, Um, you also talked about checking dorsiflexion and weight bearing. And this is a, a, something that has come to me over the past, I don't know, maybe year or so. And uh, the fellowship has definitely aided with this. Uh, the, the ankle joint, especially, I mean, you could say about all lower extremity, but the ankle joint's a weight bearing joint. Uh, and I, you know, as much as we like to manip 
and you know maybe do a, a towel crawl or sub towel uh sub tailor manipulation which is in theory a distraction um force and we'll take out the neurophysiological effects but the ankle joint is something that likes to be loaded and i've noticed actually some better outcomes and better results with uh doing some graded posterior uh glides and applying some more force and i know you and i have talked about this before Mm -hmm. like loading for all you non-manual therapists out there and and all those uh quote-unquote influencers on instagram that preach squatting and and deadlifting as like pretty much the only way to to rehab uh because manual is fake and it doesn't have a carryover if I'm putting 10, 20, 30, 50 pounds of force through someone's ankle, I'm loading that ankle. I'm just loading it on the table and via my hands um, mm-hmm. and getting some, some proprioceptive input, getting that joint to tolerate load. I mean, that's, that's the ankle is loading. And if we talk from the phases of gait and you had talked about checking out big toe extension, you know, if we look at mid stance and then from between mid stance and toe off, you have like heel lift, I guess, depending on what, uh what model you were taught but you mm-hmm. have the heel lift you know the toe the foot's still on the ground but the heel's coming off that person's in dorsiflexion and beginning toe extension great toe extension so even looking at that i mean put a towel under someone's toe great toe mm-hmm. and have them rock forward as they're, they're pulling the heel off and see what their dorsiflexion looks like there mm-hmm. uh and that's a perfect regional interdependence um, viewpoint of you know if that toe isn't extending you know they may be getting some uh, midfoot or even doors um, you know talocrural joint pain because the mechanics are being al- altered uh, a lot of people who lack great toe extension have those pincer calluses uh, you see it a lot in basketball players or runners or football players those people tend to have stiffer ankles and um, lack dorsiflexion because of either uh, the sport that they play or having a lot of sprained ankles. So their stiffness mm-hmm. they've lost. And to compensate for that, they get that pincer callus, which is a sign of lacking great toe extension or dorsiflexion or both. Um, so just looking at, at that toe and examining the whole foot and not just a set of pain uh, is going to, is going to do you well in, uh, you know, treating a foot and ankle. Yeah, absolutely. And um yeah, it's kind of funny, like, as you were saying, like, people have had a lot of ankle sprains, and I guess the first rule of thumb that a lot of people want to think of is ankle sprain, the ligaments were stretched, um, and it's a inherent instability, that's why we do the anterior drawer test, and would show that, you know, there's some excessive translation, but especially with those chronic reoccurring or those individuals with CAI or chronic ankle instability, a lot of the time, they're likely, in my opinion, I try to be, I, I tell myself I'm unbiased. I just try to look at one side versus the other, just do my measurements, is that they are hypomobile. They, they, they lack these sort of things. They lack dorsiflexion. Maybe that's why they couldn't respond quite as well to, you know, rolling, like landing on someone's foot and being able to kind of recover from it because they just didn't have the range for it. And what range they have is the range that they constantly stretch into, which is like an inversion or lateral ankle sprain. So it's just something that you you really need to take the time to take a look at and just don't purely base it off of, all right, this is an ankle sprain. So 
pathology would suggest that it's, you know, something that's loose or ligament um, yeah. lax. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah that, uh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to tell a story, but finish what you're going to say. No, no, that that's that's probably as far as I'm going to go with that. In the... Yeah. Just off what you're saying, you know, especially those chronic ankle instability patients. I had a uh, a runner slash one of those. I guess he did those Spartan races, those tough mm. mutters. And he came in with like plantar fasciitis type pain. And when it really came down to, I mean, his foot was like, um, like a paddle. Uh, Mm. It it just didn't move other than at the ankle for an inversion. He had sprained it so many times, his whole foot just stiffened up and he didn't get any um, dissociation between his forefoot, midfoot, rear foot. I mean, if we break down the foot, your rear foot and your forefoot is where your mobility should come from. You should be able to pronate and supinate uh, and invert and evert and all the couplings that go along with the axes that go along with the foot. That midfoot should be the most stable. Uh, and if you look, that's where your arch is. That, that's kind of like the tent. Um, mm-hmm. that, that shouldn't be the part that moves. And, you know, those people with uh, chronic instability, their whole foot just tightens up. So when they do mm-hmm. land and their forefoot, and if they land and most people land, you know, on the outer foot in the, in the supinated position, if it can't go into a pronated position very quickly from there, uh, they're going to go into that, that eversion ankle sprain. Uh, not to mention the history of ankle sprains has led to decreased activation or EMG muscle firing or whatever term you want to use of those peroneals. Uh, which are going to normally help uh, pull into eversion and prevent that from happening. So it's a whole cascade of events that that occurs um, with those chronic ankle ankle patients. Um, but you know, moving on from there, I don't know if you have anything else. I kind of wanted to touch upon Achilles tendonitis and oftentimes how that can be overlooked uh, in lieu of the flexor halicus longus. Uh, I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to talk about or if uh, that's a, a good no, time to switch no, it's, it's good for the examination unless there is some other um, clinical pearls that you do for your examination. Um, like some things that, well, let's talk about last thing with the examination. Um, what's your, and then we can go into Achilles tendinopathies and the flexalcus longus. What's your, uh, what's your opinion on, you know, flat foot, high arches, pes planus, whatever you want, pes cavus. What's your opinion on that? We get some people that are very, all right, we need orthotics to correct or taping procedures to correct. What's yeah. your thought process on that? If you come in, you see someone, they got ankle pain, or let's say they have Achilles tenon- tendinopathy, or let's say even, probably even more so, plantar fasciitis. Um, and they have like a, a obviously a extremely, let's say go dynamic, um, you know, pes, uh, planus there or f- flat foot deformity. What, what's do you put a lot of weight into it still, Brandon? Do you, do you not? Let's... No, it, it, it depends, but largely I'm not huge on it overall. I mean, if somebody, especially unless they had an incident where the arch dropped, um, you know, they used to, they said, Hey, I used to have an arch, but now I don't. All right. That's something different. But you know, if someone's like, I've been flat foot my whole life, that's mm-hmm. their normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are we trying to correct 
and create an arch, or if someone had a, a Pez Cavus where I increased arch, you know, if that's how they've been their whole life, that's their normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get how, you know, these podiatrists, a kid's been flat foot literally since they were, they were walking and, you know, their early preteen years and into their teen years. If that's their normal, an orthotic isn't going to change that bone structure, mm-hmm. um, isn't going to really provide them support. And that's probably not the issue. What has probably happened, and especially with the Pez planus, and if we're talking about uh, plantar fasciitis specifically, um, what has happened, especially up the chain, and you had mentioned that earlier in your exam, mm-hmm. especially looking at the hips and pelvis and trunk, you know, are they lacking strength and dynamic stability and balance where now increased forces are going through their foot because the rest of the body isn't able to attenuate those forces? And some of the new research coming out in favor of orthotics is to help attenuate forces, not to help support, in the traditional sense, the arch or create an arch like it originally was thought. Um, and same with taping. It's there to help assist or attenuate some forces. And that's where I think we need to ha- shift our mindset to, um, and especially in treating foot and ankle, like, like just don't treat the foot and ankle. And I know that was basically all I talked about for, uh, you know, 20 minutes over there. But <laughs> You, you touched upon it, you know, some of that, some of our rehabilitation, maybe more, more of it needs to be regional interdependence, looking at the knee, looking at the hip, looking at the pelvis and, and trunk and getting, you know, somebody's coordination, motor pattern and strength of those musculature, that more proximal musculature, um, you know, more on par where it needs to be to help attenuate the forces uh, on the foot. What, what are your thoughts on that? Because you're at, that was a great question. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more, uh, especially I think there was something I saw that most of America is flat-footed. Yeah, we continue to keep trying to find, like, all right, we got to put these orthotics in or whatnot. Uh, unless I see someone where it's, again, one foot is different, where it's neutral or high arch, and then we have a dynamic flat foot on the involved, then, yeah, that might be something I wish to correct. But I can it comes down to, as you're saying, attenuating the forces and educating. All right. I'm going to say, Hey, suggest that maybe you should get, you know, go to CVS and step on the Dr. Scholl's thing and get this to attenuate or to kind of alleviate that area to kind of like, I was kind of make the suggestion of, you know, you got bruised there and things are constantly poking the bruise. Um, and not allowing you to cover, you know, we're talking about pain science and sensitizations. All right, if we can get something to alleviate or de-stress or de-load the area or let things calm down for a little bit, whether that be taping or orthotics and those sort of things for a small period of time, yes, I don't believe this is something you need for a lifetime, but just to let, you know, again, things calm down to a degree, that's a lot of what I'll try and educate um, and then obviously I'll, as a, you were mentioning and what we were both mentioning is I'll, uh, I find most of the issues are probably more proximal than distal, um, you know, poor hip abductors, knee valgus, if there's going to be some knee valgus, hip internal rotation, adduction, what's going to naturally, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, do that right now, you know, internally rotate your hip, adduct and see what happens to your foot. Uh, it's going to naturally become a dynamic, you know, Pez planus. Um, so what are we going to do? Are we just going to put an orthotic in and try and correct that? No, it's not going to make a difference. You know, we got to look above. 
Um, so obviously, you know, just make sure your, your clients understand that if you just go start hammer home hips and those sort of things in mechanics, unless you're showing it with videos and showing that their mechanics are a little sloppy and it's causing those uh, dynamic uh, faults, I guess, um, really explain, all right, well, your issue is coming from above. Uh, we're going to work that, but make sure that you're also taking care of things distally as well. If you're just going too far away from the source, you may lose some clients because those are those people like, oh, I tried therapy, but they weren't doing anything near where my problem site was. And that's sometimes we will lose clients as a result of that. So make sure they either very educated or you're, you're addressing both areas. And most of the time, both areas need a little bit, but don't forget the proximal source as well. But yeah, that's all I, I would have to say about that. Let's uh, Brent, let's go into what you're talking about before, unless you have something else. Yeah, just uh, one thing to add, because you brought it up, the Dr. Soul's uh, inserts, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, the newer evidence is showing that there's no difference between those custom orthotics versus the over-the-counter ones. Mm-hmm. So if your patient wants it or feels they benefit from it, um, or maybe you want it just in the intermediate for them to help uh, attenuate and offload some of those forces until you're able to make the more permanent changes via, uh, you know, manual therapy and, and motor control, motor patterning, strengthening exercises. Um, those are just as good. And I don't know about around you, but I know around me, I mean, custom orthotics are huge. The podiatrists around here, oh, every year you need a new pair of orthotics. Um, those are worn out and it's just a money grab because most insurances are only going to pay for one set a year. It's just like, it's mind boggling. Um, what physicians have in their toolbox or lack thereof, but yet they're the gatekeeper. Like I strongly believe that we as a profession are just, just better when it comes down to it. Physicians, what do they do? They prescribe MRIs and imaging and x-rays. They're going to give you, in this case, an orthotic. They're giving you an injection. They're going to give you opioids or NSAIDs or some type of prescription. Uh, and then they tell you to wait three weeks and come back. Like, what the fuck kind of advice is that? You use none of your medical education by doing any of that. Here's a prescription and wait three weeks. Um, it's just really absurd uh, to me. So um, I'm going off on a tangent there. But going back to, you know, just educating your patient. You know, they can go get a $20 insert from CVS after they stand on it and and have just as good um, results instead of paying out of pocket three, four, five hundred dollars for a custom, quote unquote, orthotic, which um, isn't really going to do much more. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Cheers to your brand. We got the explicit rate on this one. (laughs) Um, But three, I think it's three hundred dollars a pop each one. So it's not even like the like for a pair it's three hundred dollars a pop and so each foot is three hundred dollars. yeah it's why right. i'm pretty sure the last like I, I haven't had too many people lately ever get one but i'm thinking about it, i'm pretty sure it's three hundred dollars a pop that's six hundred dollars for something equally as good as twenty dollars and you know that will never i don't care what kind of orthotic is it's never going to restore proper mechanics or anything like that um and again obviously we live in a quick fix society at least if we're going to do that a 20 dollar quick fix is much better than five six hundred dollar quick fix um and they can be using that for four five six sessions of things that are actually going to make them better in physical therapy so um 
yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And um, very frustrating. I don't even know. I don't even know why it's that much. What is it? Just plaster and those sort of things. There's custom orthotic kits out there. It's like a lasered now. Super cool. I mean, freaking LASIK is laser, and them things are like becoming like two hundred dollars a pop, which still sketches me out. I'm like, kind of want it, but. You say it's only two hundred dollars an eye. You can like laser my eye. But anyway, um, yeah. Do you want to talk about the? We went off on a bit of a tangent yeah. there. The Achilles or anything. Yeah, um, the, with the Achilles, and it's something I, I've noticed. Um, and for I see this a lot. I guess most Achilles tendonitis patients are the the runner, and like basketball players and people who are more active. Um, and don't get me wrong. I guess you get some sedentary people who get it too, but uh, at least in my realm and probably yours too, because you're uh, you, you treat it like me more orthopedic and true sport people. So mm. I'll, I'll be talking more on that. A lot of times it's not the true, it's not truly Achilles tendonitis uh, or a tendinopathy, um, especially when the patient is pointing um, not on the tendon itself, but like in and kind of underneath it. Um, so let's say you have your Achilles tendon and then your lateromalleolus. Like if they're pointing like halfway between the two, mm. uh, I have found that to be more the um, flexor hallucis longus. And if you trace that back up, that inserts onto the lateral or medial aspect of the fibula. So it's lateral on the leg. Um so, you know, try treating that. It's, you know, if you can dry needle and if you're in a state that you can dry needle, like needle that and you're going to have instantaneous results. Like if you've been treating uh, it for a while and it's not really getting better and they're kind of saying it's vague um, and they also have limited joint extension, uh, great toe extension and limited ankle uh, dorsiflexion, uh, try poking around at the, the flexor hallucis longus. It's probably going to be tender. And if you did some work to it, uh, you're probably going to see some good and fast results, especially if you draw a needle, because you can literally get rid of the pain um, or most of the pain in one day. Yeah. That's my, something I've noticed over the, the last little bit. I don't, sorry, I cut you off. But. No, no, no. Uh, my mentor, Tom Michaels, he was he enlightened me into the, the FHL. Like I, I kind of totally blew it off um, when I was a young PT and those sort of things. And, he would uh, – he what did he take? He took a Great Lakes anatomy course or something like that, like a functional anatomy course. If you're struggling with anatomy uh, post-grad um, school and those sort of things, so that might be something to explore or anything like that. Or go to the body body's exhibit or something like that. But he, he, he kind of poked into that. And I do remember a couple of cases um, – Obviously, with like plantar fasciitis, the flexor hallucis longus kind of goes a lot of time hand in hand with those. If you're not looking at that with your plantar fasciitis and you're potentially missing the boat there, but the same thing was like looking up. I never, I look, you know, looking at great toe extension and flexion as well. Sometimes, like, you know, shoot, just resist great toe flexion and it starts pissing things off. Then it has nothing to do with the Achilles tendon. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he would start, like, I'd probably do some things underneath the foot um, or work in the great toe, but 
you would actually start going in at the more proximal sources. You're saying the lateral aspect of the calf uh, and actually get some really good results. So um, also, with the, you know, obviously with Achilles, you also want to rule out your uh, more obviously more proximal in regard to this more nerve pathologies. Yeah. Correct. Um, you know, Sagner and those sort of things. Um, that, that, tibial, tibial. Yep. So doing those tests, um, the TED and the PIP and those sort of things. Uh, yeah, you could get some people. I've, you know, a true case of it. I've, I think I've had one or two where it really wasn't Achilles tendinopathy. Was um, the just nerve irritation or adverse neural tension, if you want to put it up as that. Um, and make sure and then I'm like okay so we may do some work here but actually we're going to treat the spine um, and just for a descending inhibition effect kind of that neurophysiological effect do manipulations during nerve glides and then do some ankle stuff and they actually feel better these are the individuals a lot of them that they've already been to PT it's failed them there's really no surgery for these individuals they've tried injections of those sorts and then they're back to us and all right well or mm -hmm. come from a different place and we look at them like well it's really not your achilles much at all so make sure you're doing those sort of things i think all my achilles i'll i'll throw in um well, obviously achilles tendon tears that's a totally different story but your achilles tendinopathies throw in you know a slump test uh see if that makes any difference uh at least that's the most basic thing you're doing you know quickly you do it in the middle of your myotoma exam so um but yeah that's that's always something to take a look at yeah even pita a's to the lumbar spine will create uh pain like that either for achilles tendonitis or the plantar fasciitis mm -hmm. um i will say you were talking about great toe flexion i mean yeah that's what the flexor halicus does but i mean piecing it together um if somebody is lacking proximal hip strength um, or hip extension, um, or, you know, lumbopelvic control, they're going to probably try and compensate during push-off with that toe, and that toe is going to be trying to flex and, and grab more of the ground to generate mm -hmm. more force. Um, or if they're pronating, same thing. Um, so that, that toe, that flexor is working harder and more than it should be because the proximal area isn't working as much. So also being able to check that out and, and working on hip extension and hamstring and glute, um, you know, force development as well as some mechanic, uh, biomechanical type, type retraining. Yep. But, uh, yeah, if you don't, you don't need, uh, if there's nothing else, I don't know, Jared, do you want to? I guess that was a long enough one. We can yeah. end it here. Yeah, I think we can uh, – hopefully I can tie into in the future some more diving into some more specific diagnosis. We've done that in the previous episodes, the IT band, patellofemoral pain syndrome. But we can dive into more into Achilles tendinopathies, plantar fasciitis, um, high ankle sprains or chronic ankle instability. If there's anything that – people are interested in just sending a message would be more than happy to uh do a podcast about it but yeah i think that that was pretty good kind of diving into uh looking and how we look at the ankle how we don't do some things necessarily anymore uh so hopefully that gives some insight to our our listeners out there and uh yeah if you have any questions if you're just uh, 
wanted to dive more into or ask more questions about something we said or outright disagreed with what we're, we're saying, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to either of us. Brands at Think Like a Fellow and at Pursue PT Now. I'm at The Decent Doctor and uh, at Trifecta Therapeutics. And overall, um, probably easiest way, you can just hit us up at Manips and Sips uh, without the aster. Uh, what's, the, what's the end sign again? Uh, uh, I, think, the, I think we have sign. Yeah. yeah, it's actually and. Um, uh, not after sign. I can't. Uh, I'm feeling this uh, one night stand here. It's catching yeah. up to me. Um, but uh, yeah, always feel free to reach out to us. We're always here to help. Um, I know, uh, Brandon, we're having some courses um, in regards yeah. to potentially uh, we can discuss some of these things. But, Brandon, I'll, I'll pass that back off to you. Yeah. So, uh, we're hosting a, a few courses coming the end of the year, at least here in New Jersey. It's coming up on the end of the credentialing cycle. We have uh, October 12th and 13th uh, at Pursuit PT in Verona, New Jersey, a cervical thoracic uh, course, uh, management course. So, we're going to be going over. Uh, difference diagnosis of the region, how to treat uh, things like uh, whiplash, headaches, TMJ, uh, big component on neurodynamics and, and how to assess and treat with those, breaking that 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 down differently than um, probably typically taught in, in school, uh, going over manual therapy techniques, mobilizations, manipulations of that region, uh, dispelling myth on, you know, CAD and the VBI from manipulations, so a really packed two-day course there. It's approved for 15 credits um, in New Jersey and uh, 18 uh, or 16 in New York. Um, we also have a lumbopelvic management course uh, uh, November 9th and 10th, which obviously is coupled in the lumbopelvic region, differential diagnosis, red flags, again, neurodynamics, but of the lower quarter, uh, examination and treatment of that. Uh, and then different uh, treatments uh, for different pathologies, especially the uh, chronic nonspecific low back patient, um, those discogenic patients, and some of those stability patients. How can we blend and integrate manual therapy and uh, Therex and, and motor control exercises? And then lastly, in December, we have our probably our probably biggest course to date, uh, which is a spinal manip course. That's uh, December 7th and 8th going over i don't know probably upwards of 20 if not more we tend to kind of go off on tangents 20 different techniques for the whole spine from the cervical all the way down to the uh the lumbo pelvic region sacral region uh there again all these courses are approved for credits um so if you guys uh, are looking to expand on your um on your you know background uh and improve your clinical decision making and treatment skills or you need credits please uh you know, take a look and take our courses. Yeah, it's true. Uh, cracking backs and dropping facts at its finest uh, with some of these. Um, but um, yeah, some of the things that we talked about, like the neurodynamics and like the last thing that we mentioned with the Achilles tendinopathies of how, it, how you have to look proximally and those sort of things. We'll talk about that, obviously, with the lumbar course and such and so forth. But yeah, I uh, hope everyone uh, liked this episode and uh Thanks for listening in and uh, cheers, everyone. Cheers, guys.